Lord, um, this passage, it's in the scripture for a reason, and we're thankful for it. Um, but there's some, there's some things in it that are hard to hear. So I pray, you know the work that I've done, Lord, and, and, and the work you've done through it. I worked on it till it worked on me. And that's what I plan to bring to your people, but I don't want what I have planned. I want what you have planned. Your message for us. So stand in my shoes, give me your thoughts, and speak with my mouth so that your people hear your message for them. And for all of us, Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive what you want us to see, hear, and receive. And Lord, personally, I want to thank you for honoring the prayers of your people. And I want to thank you for um, Doug's willingness to speak truth in my life. I'm a, I'm a, I know you better because you put him here. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I call this an unusual passage. That's, I mean, it's been in the scriptures, in the gospel according to Mark for 2,000 years. So it's not unusual. Everyone's probably read it. But I know that I've never heard a sermon on it. And I know that all the times I've preached through Mark, I've never preached on it. Because there's always something either more exciting, not easier, but just more exciting. Because this is about ritual cleansing and, 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 and food being clean. And so you just kind of go, it doesn't really apply. But because I've preached on all these other things, even here in this section, all right, Lord, show me what you want me to, show you what you want me to, what you want me to do. So I'm going to, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to tell you a bunch of, not a bunch, but some nerd, uh, pastor geek stuff, stuff that I discovered this week through language work and commentary um, that I think when we read the passage, will make this passage clearer to you. Then we'll read it and it will pause a couple of times in there for, for, for some of the poignant things. And then at the end, there'll be a challenge to all of us, um, but they're not, it's not my challenge, it's his challenge for us. And if it's, it's what he was challenging his disciples, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law, it's what he's challenging, challenging us with too. So a couple of things to know. Number one, if you're a Jew and you're a teacher, um, if you disagree with Moses, you're out. Okay, Moses is the guy. He was the deliverer, and he was the one that God gave the law to, the Ten Commandments, and then all the stuff that came after that for the temple worship, all the Leviticus stuff. And Leviticus is not a place where most of us spend much of our daily devotional time. There's some weird, there's some, there's some strange things to our modern Western culture worldview that were not strange to them. Um, but so if you disagree with Moses, you're a blasphemer, you're out. That's why when Jesus, when the woman was caught in adultery and they brought her before Jesus out in the temple courts and they said the law of Moses requires that we stone such a woman, what do you say? They're trying to see if he's truly a man of God or not. And I want you to know that Jesus knows their tactic and he uses it on them because he will say Moses said, but then you do. So you need to know that that is, that, is a, that is a mic drop kind of a thing to say. It'd be like someone saying today, you're intolerant, okay? Now, the other thing to know is that the priestly class, um, they, they worshiped in the temple. They were the ones that did all the sacramental things and the, and the offering up of animals and ministered God's will to the people. In Leviticus, a big section of Leviticus is about the priesthood and temple worship. And one of the things, many of the things they talk about is cleaning yourself up before you come to, to administer the things in the temple and, um, and before you, 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 you say what God says. So he had these rituals. Um, God had instructed the priests, as you prepare to worship in the temple, I want you to 
I want you to clean your hands. You know, clean hands, clean heart. I want you to wash the utensils. Now, some of that is hygiene, but it's mostly rituals that remind us of something real, the God's intent. For example, um, many of you have children that have been baptized here and they've gotten a little box. And in that box, there's a note from God. That box has got the child's name on the bottom, the date of baptism on the bottom, and it's sealed with wax with a cross. Um, that is meant to be a, a reminder to the child, to the family, and to the church that everything necessary for salvation has already been done 2,000 years ago through the life, ministry, suffering, death, uh, uh, descension into hell, resurrection from the dead, and ascension to the Father. That's all done. It's all purchased, paid for, and presented. And our hope is that one day a child will break the seal of their baptism and receive for themselves the promise that God offered at baptism. That's a, that's a, but I want you to know that Kurt... Pastor Kurt puts those boxes together and he has to melt the wax and put the seal of the cross on there. And part of the reason that he does, he takes that on is because as he's preparing the box, he prays for that child, for that family and for that child's faith development. Most rituals then as now are meant to remind us of something true. It's not the ritual themselves. Um, when I was reading the commentary, one of the things that these, these, these teachers of the law got caught up in is the tradition, traditionalism instead of tradition. That, that, that church historian, Pelican, who says, um, tradition is the living faith of the dead, those who've gone before you. Tradition is, but traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. That's what Jesus is zeroing in here, on here. These men um, had taken washing of your hands and washing of your feet and washing utensils um, that was intended to be a way of a reminder, a way to pray so that our hearts are clean before ministry of the temple. And they turned it just into the ritual itself. The, the Pharisees, who preachers love to pick on, they had really good intent. They, they took the, the ministry at the temple, and they wanted to help the everyday person figure out how to approach God, how to know that they're walking with God, and how to be identified with the Most High God in day-to-day -day life. In the 50s, 60s, 70s, and maybe 80s, there was a common saying uh, in our world, uh, in, in the Western, uh, Western area here, um, and it was this, a man's home is his castle, right? What the Pharisees were trying to do, they didn't use this phrase, but they were trying to say a man's house is his temple. And God set these, some of these restrictions up, some of these boundaries up to make a people a people. And the Pharisees tried to help an average everyday person figure out how to be a Jew, how to be faithful, how to be right with God, how to know that they're right with God. So he, they taught the people that, that when you come home from the marketplace, you wash your hands, your kids wash their hands, you wash your utensils, you do this, because it lets you know, you're, you're, it's kind of like when we pray before a meal. If you're in Western Michigan and you pray before a meal, people are like, it's not unusual. But you go to Denver and pray before a meal, you're a nut. I remember being up at Steak and Egger. You guys know where that is up near Scottville? No? Okay. Great restaurant. Way too expensive for breakfast, but really good pancakes. So I'm there with my, my, my buddy Steve Rocket and my brother Heath. Um, we call him Bubba. And we all order steak and eggs with pancakes. I mean, this is, they bring it out. And we all, Steve nods to me and I said a prayer. I, I was the one that was supposed to say it out loud. And these two elderly women who were probably the age I am now, but they felt old then, um, after we finished our meal, they came up and they were like, your mama's raised you right praying before your meal. It said something. It said that we are, we are saying that there, there's some, something more than us that we're giving thanks to. 
that we have the provision to pay these people to make food for us and bring it to us. That's, that's, what, that's what prayer is. It's a good thing. But what happened is that people took the ritual and lost the heart. So I want you to know that Jesus is going at that. The other thing is there's a spot in here. There's a couple of parentheses in, here, in this passage. Uh, uh, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. And he does. But he doesn't. It's not the way we think. You know, we know that there were some ritual or some, uh, some, some restrictions to the Jewish people. Um, you don't eat pork. No shellfish. No blood in the meat. It's called eating kosher. Um, and so it was a way of God letting each, all the Jews know who their people are. And it's a way, uh, there's some hygiene involved back then, but, but it's also just, they're set up in order for, um, to remind us who we belong to. It's a heart thing, not a physical thing. But Jesus in this passage says, what you, what, what comes from outside doesn't make you unclean. Um, and he says, you, if your hands are dirty, he didn't say it exactly like this, but this is what he's saying to them. Um, you take dirty hands, unclean hands, and you eat food and it goes into your, not into your heart, but into your stomach. And then it passes out of you, right? It goes through your body. Here's what you, you and I don't know is that they considered certain foods unclean and hands, if they weren't ceremonially cleansed, uh, and this will make sense in a minute, I promise. Um, I'm looking at a bunch of people going, are we, this is going to be the whole 20 minutes. I told you I was going to nerd out for a minute. Some foods were considered unclean, and if you could, you could dirty something up by touching it without being cleansed, um, but then what came out of you later, the product of food passing through, was not considered unclean. Gross, yes, but unclean, no. So Jesus is using a logical argument going, how is it that you can make something with your hand unclean that goes into you, goes into your stomach, passes out, and that's not unclean? It doesn't go from unclean to clean by going through you. He, nah, that's not what this is about. This is about your heart. So know those things as we read this passage, because I think some of it, you won't be able to read it the same way again. It reads like this. And these, oh, by the way, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that come are from Jerusalem. So these are the guys with the big hats, the cool robes. And um, Jesus is in Galilee, the where he, Capernaum area, where he spent most of his ministry. It's a long trek because they, they, they walked. It's a long trek from Jerusalem. So these people are the people, it's like the seminary professors. They're going to come and hear this new candidate for ministry and find out if he's really all that or not. And they come with an attitude, and we know they have the attitude because of Jesus' response. So it reads like this. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. Parenthetical explanation. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders, when they come to the, from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, and I'm going to read it with the tone because we know Jesus' response, what their tone was. Why do your disciples live... Or, why don't your disciples live in accordance with the tradition of the elders instead of eating, food, eating their food with unwashed hands? And this, Jesus is done. He's done with them. We're halfway through his ministry, really, in the book of Mark. And he's, he, his patience, if they would have come and said, hey, help me out here. Um, I don't go, why is that okay, but it's not okay for others? I mean, if it would have been some kind of honest inquiry, it would have been okay. But this is what he says. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. 
These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And I want you to picture for a second. If you're, let's say you show up to a town hall, a political town hall, local leaders, state reps, or Congress or senators, and you're very upset with decisions that they've made or haven't made, policies that they've in, instituted or haven't, or promises that they made that they weren't, that weren't kept. And you, you're like, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm done. I'm, 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 not, I'm not writing letters. I'm not writing email. I'm going. And you stand in line for that microphone and the cameras are all there and you've got your hands in your pocket. You've got your little thing written down. It's getting sweaty. And you're, you, you're, kind, of, you're kind of wound up, you know, and then you get there and you give them what for? And then they turn around on you and tell you how wrong you are and humiliate you in front of everybody. That's kind of how they're feeling. And then Jesus doubles down and he'll double down again after that. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, uh, this mic drop, man, he just, Moses said, honor your father and your mother and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might, have otherwise, you might otherwise have received from me is korban, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father and your mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like this. That's just the one example. Now, Corban, it's kind of self-explanatory. We don't have that exactly here, um, but that was a very patriarchal society and they didn't have social security, 401ks, 403bs, IRAs, uh, pensions. They didn't have any of that back then. So when your, your, your parents grew older and they could not take care of themselves, they couldn't continue in their trade, your job, your responsibility as a good son or daughter was to take care of them, to make sure they had shelter, food, and that their basic needs were met. And they had worked it out in a way that even though that's a command of God to honor your father and your mother, they had worked it out that you could say, I'm going to take all the help I would have given you and I'm giving it to God instead, but no one tracked whether it went to God. But they're basically saying, I found a theological loophole to make it so I don't have to do the very thing that I am commanded by God to do. And he says, and it's not just that one, it's lots of them. And then he doubles down again. Now imagine if you're th there and he just came at you and he just, boom. And then he decides to gather everybody. Hey, everybody else, come here, come here, come here. I want you to listen up. I want you to understand everybody listen. That's what he does. It says right here, again, Jesus called the crowd to him. Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. This is the God of the universe who says, I want you to understand this. I'm going to make this clear. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. Now, the, 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 they're done, the, the, the Pharisees. Jesus takes him aside uh, again after he left the crowd and entered the house. In typical fashion, he, he gives even more instruction to his disciples, but he's getting impatient with them as well. They want to know, they, they ask him about this parable, and he said, are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared that all food's clean, just not in the way we would have expected and he went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, 
murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. I thought we were talking about hand washing. Why this big list of evil thoughts and sexual immorality, theft, murder, adult, adult what does that have to adultery? What? Greed, malice, arrogance, slander. You know what he told those, the, those Pharisees and the teacher of the law? He said, you're not being Jewish right. Imagine if someone came to you and said, you're not being Christian right. Who do you think you are? We would never do something like this. I mean, we have nursing homes and care facilities. Some people have their parents move in. We would never do what they do, right? We would never try to figure out a way to do an end run around the command of God. And I hope that, that we do take care of our parents. I hope that some of you move in, but, and I hope that you voluntarily, if needed, if they need it and they're in a care facility, that you voluntarily use some of your resources to help make sure that they're well taken care of because no one wants to see your parents suffer. We would never do something like that. And I'm not accusing you of anything, but I tell you, I've heard some things over the years and I'm gonna use two examples that are pretty easy. Um, and if you've said these or this is how you've worked it out in your head, I just want you to know that's not on me. I'm gonna use these examples because they're easy and they're, and they're common. I give of my time so I don't have to give of my tithe. It's not gonna be about money. This is about the heart of the thing. Or this one, I love this one. Jesus never talked about the tithe. That's an Old Testament law concept. So we've, we've, now we're using scripture to justify what we know God wants us to do. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn that on you. It's not the law, it's pre-law. Abraham, the founder of the faith, Abraham, the first man that God made a covenant with, Abraham, besides Adam, Abraham, when he came into contact with the priest and King Melchizedek, he offered a tenth of everything he had to the service of God, put it before Melchizedek. That is before the law. And by the way, Jesus is part of the Trinity. So if, he, if it was said in the Old Testament, he did address it. And Jesus is called a priest, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek in Hebrews. So if you're going to try to do exegetical gymnastics to get out of doing what you know God wants you to do, korban. We all do it. We all have ways that we figure out how it doesn't work this way. We don't want to think that we, that we do these little end runs, but we have these little justifications that we have in our own heads. We, we, we have these things like, I'm not going to stop doing that. And it doesn't harm anyone. Like guys, who hasn't here at one time or another, and, and do, wives, don't ask them about it right now. That's not what I'm after. But, but there's been a time that you've seen something online on purpose that you shouldn't have seen. According to Jesus, that's adultery in your heart. It doesn't do any harm. It hurts the person who's now an object. It hurts your wife because you're now comparing something that isn't real to someone who is. And women, if you read those trashy romance novels, just so you know, Prince Charming doesn't exist. There's no such thing. There is no perfect man who always looks out for your own interests, who's always has cool long hair, ripped abs, and, 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 will, and can swim the ocean to rescue you. It doesn't exist. But if you're reading those things and you're fantasizing about that, you're now comparing your, your broken, sinful, redeemed, sainted husband or husband-to-be to someone who does not exist. You're harming you, you're harming him, and you're harming your future spouse if you don't currently have one. 
We all do it in one way or another. Who has not been greedy? Who has not made a decision that you know God says no, but you go, it doesn't hurt anyone, no one's gonna know. You know what happens when we do that? We think that we can hide from God, which is what they were thinking. I'm gonna make myself holy so God thinks I'm holy. God knows the heart. God knows what's going on. You know the, the best way to translate confession from in the biblical perspective of, of confessing our sins to God, the best English translation for confessing to God is telling God what he already knows. You might not have known it. Your people probably don't know it. But do we really think God doesn't know it? And, do we, and then we start to think that God has these boundaries set up about the ritual washing that is so that we know we're holy and they know we're holy and they know they're not. It's kind of the outside in thing. But that's not his intent. All the regulations, all the, the, the rituals, all the stuff is set up not to deny us pleasure, but to protect us from pain and protect us from, 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 from causing pain in others. We all do it. We judge people who look at things differently politically. We do. I do. Who didn't yell at the TV sometime during November? Churches do it too. I'm going to use some easy ones, but the, there, there's a tradition very closely related to the Reformed Church in America um, that is really big on Lord's Day or Sabbath observance, right? I mean, you don't work on Sunday. And that's a good, and why? Because we believe that that reminds us that, that the earth can be just fine without us and we can be just fine without our toil. And it's what God said to do. It's a, it's a noble, noble attempt. And the Baptists for years have been about your body is your temple. And so there's an old joke about these folks and these folks have church across the street from one another. And these folks look over there and they're having a barbecue and like, how can they do that on Sunday? Do they not know the Lord's command? How dare they? I'm offended by that. And these people are over here looking at them. They're all smoking pipes and cigarettes. How could they, their body's a temple? Because the Dutch have had a, a love affair with tobacco for decades. You know that when you used to graduate from Calvin Seminary and you passed your oral counsel with the professors, that they would hand you a pipe, show you how to pack it, and you would sit around and smoke a pipe with your professors? Because that was... A way to celebrate. It was something coming from the outside. Did it make them unclean? You can get to heaven smoking. You're just going to get there quicker. <laughs> I grew up in a very Jewish and Catholic neighborhood. And I know of some people that had arguments with their neighbors because one person was from one tradition and they, they, didn't, they observed the Sabbath and they got frustrated with their Catholic neighbors because they would mow their lawn on Sunday. And one of them approached him and talked to him, said, would you please not mow your lawn? I know you might not think the same way, but it's offensive to me. He goes, sure, be happy to, as, you, as long as you stop eating meat on Fridays. Because Catholics practice fasting from meat, from red meat on Fridays, and they eat fish as a way of fasting and presenting themselves to the Lord, preparing for the Sabbath. And whenever we do that with one group or another, we're judging one of God's image bearers. And we justify it in our head because we know better than they do. Those are rules of men that God says, it's not what this is about. He wants to know what's at the heart. And he wants to purify what's at the heart. He wants you and I to know that when we do exegetical, theological, 
or psychological gymnastics to get out of doing the very thing we know God would, would have us do. And it's for you. It's not for God. Does God need the sacrifices that the Jews used to offer? Does he need a fattened calf that's killed? Does, is God going to come down and eat it? He doesn't need sustenance. It's for us to remind us whose we are. And he wants to cleanse us from the inside out. But what we try to do often is we try to convince him that we're good, that we're actually better than we are. And he's saying, don't be a hypocrite like that. Don't do that. Ask God to search your mind, to renew in you a right spirit, to cleanse your heart from the inside out. Because then you become someone who says, not my will, Lord, but yours. And that's just what confession and repentance is. These people were so sure that they were right and Jesus was wrong that they told the God of the universe he's worthy of dying. We're not going to do that. I know that's not your heart. But where is it in your life? I don't know where it is in yours, but I know where it is in mine. If it, as, as, as Pastor Tim will often say, if it's going to burn later, it's better to burn it now. Because there's no way I show up to judgment. And Jesus goes, so tell me, you all good? And I go, yeah, look at what I've done. And here's how I skirted around some of your laws and your expectations of me. But you know we're good, right? That's not how it works. It will be, I will be on my knees and the only thing I have to say is not what I've done, but Lord, because of what you've done. So let's be a people who are humble before the Lord instead of waiting for him to have to humble us. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were proud and were humbled by God as we will be unless we humble ourselves first. At the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess and every knee will bend. It's better if we bend them and confess them intentionally now than waiting to be shoved to our knees and made to confess. It's because of God's mercy that we repent. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Mark. And thank you that shellfish is okay. I like shrimp. And Lord, thank you that you convict. I pray that you today help each of us ask you to search our hearts. To show us in our minds where we do workarounds. And Lord, I pray that you, with mercy, help us know what you want us to do differently from this point forward because we know it's for us. It's not for you. In Jesus' name, amen.